If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to James chapter 5. And we'll be in James chapter 5, verses 15 through 18 this Lord's Day as we continue our study walking through this letter together. And we'll begin, as I read here, with verse 13, for the sake of context. And so as we read, indeed we pray, may God bless the reading of his inspired and true word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. Well, as you can see, upon this initial reading of these verses... Our verses this morning, they fall right in the thick of the various thoughts and points that James made in verses 13 through 15. And so we saw that last time. If you were here or if you weren't here, you can just look there or even remember what I just read to you. And you can see that our verses indeed do fall right in the thick of all of this, verses 15 through 18. And so we see that clear enough. Now, if you could situate this whole passage, so from verses 13 through 18, under one heading, it would be this. It would be under the heading of prayer. Prayer. From beginning to end, James is concerned with prayer. Even in your gladness. Just think of that, that when you are praising and when you're singing and when you're rejoicing, you are essentially praying. You're not telling us these things. You're saying them to God and you're rejoicing in God, your Savior. We praise you, O God. And so, even with... Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We see prayer. Now prayer, it's not just some spiritual habit or ritual that we practice. It's not you just being spiritual. That's the way many people kind of go about in our day. You know, they go about thinking, well, I'm a spiritual person. (laughs) 
They're not thinking of the triune God, the only God, but they, they may even be just doing something, saying words to something or someone, to the energy of the universe or whatever they're doing. Well, that's just a bunch of false spirituality. When we as believers pray, we are seeking after and talking to the God of the universe. Ponder that for a while. As I just prayed a moment ago, and you prayed with me. Who were we praying to? The God who is here right now among us. And he knows you. He knows me. He knows all of us. So in prayer, you and I are seeking God. And we saw and we felt that refrain. Hopefully you felt that refrain last time as we walked through verses 13 through 15. The refrain of Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. That's to be our heart. Because James is after your heart, not that you would have this facade sort of spirituality, but that you would have a genuine faith, a faith that consumes every sphere of your life. That now as we're coming near to the end of James, if you're not understanding that, that is his heartbeat. He wants you to see that in everything, your life is to be about Christ. And you've missed it. But may you see it here and now that he wants you to be about Christ in everything. So as he continues to address these various aspects of how we're called to prayer, he shows us first here, among the other things that we've seen already, he shows us our vital need for confession. Our vital need for confession. Now confession is something that you often find in books on prayer, right? I mean, if you've ever read a book on prayer, you'll see that. And many times, that's, that's exactly right. It needs to be in there, right? On prayer. But James, he directs us to an area of confession that we don't often consider or often even think about at all. Now, we'll get more into the deeps of that in a moment, but the context here is in view of someone who is sick. So we saw that in verses 14 plus. And it's not just someone who's kind of mildly sick, right? You remember from last time, they're not like someone with the sniffles. Like I have a slight cold here, you know, want to call the elders and pray for me. You know, that's not the kind of person he's referring to here. But this is someone who is in dire straits. They are not in good shape, as in they may not make it kind of sick. And so confession here, as James is presenting it, is within this context of sickness 
And of course, if you're thinking of confession, what does that mean? Well, there may well be then what? Sin. And so he brings up a surprising possibility. The surprising possibility of sin and sickness. And so we see the connection between sin and sickness and prayer here with his words there in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now it's that latter part here that we need to think about Like, how exactly might our sin, on the one hand, and our sickness, on the other hand, be connected? Now, we need to be clear here on what James is saying. Because in that connection, I mean, there might, and if it's true, there might be a good deal of reason to be rather terrified. And I'll talk more about that in a second. But first, we need to see... That all sickness is not a result of personal sin. All sickness is not a result of personal sin. Now, we see it with that word there, if, as in if he has committed sins. So it's not saying absolutely that this person is sick because of his sin. So hopefully you see that. But he might be, right? (laughs) Which gets us at this first All sickness is not a direct result of personal sin. And so we see this to be the case elsewhere in a number of places in Scripture as well. So in the Gospel of John, a number of years ago, I guess, I don't remember how long we went through that. I think it was a year and a half. We walked through the Gospel of John, so we got to this passage. But there in the Gospel of John, a man was born blind... And Jesus' disciples, they ask Jesus this question in John chapter 9. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so they're thinking that someone has sinned here. I mean, that's got to be the reason why he's blind. Is somebody sinned? And so, who sinned, Jesus? And so that's why he can't see. Well, remember how Jesus answered his disciples here. In that next verse in John 9, verse 3, he says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. His blindness was used by God to display God's glory. I mean, do you even have a a theological category for that? I mean, it's not that we hear Jesus at this point and we say, well, no, no, I'm not believing that. Well, then you are wrong, (laughs) not Jesus. We need a theological category for God purposing and planning even things like blindness for His glory. Not wasted. 
Now, it's a whole different question to ask, well, do you understand all these things? Well, no, but that's okay because God is God, isn't he? And his understanding is absolutely incomparably greater than ours. Even if you live for a million years and learned everything you could, you wouldn't even be close to God. So in saying that, though, of this man who was born blind, we see it was not due to sin. It was his blindness was not a result of sin or any personal sin. And this is why I was being careful when I said, and I made this point this way, all sickness is not a result of personal sin. Yet, having said that, and hopefully you get that, we can say and we must say that all sickness that we experience is ultimately because of sin. As in back in Genesis chapter 3, when we sinned against God, that separation was made between us and God. Ever since then, that is why our bodies decay. It's why you get sick. It's why I get sick. It's why I will die one day and you will die aside from Christ returning. Yet each time we get sick, it does not mean that we're sick because of some distinct personal sin. Rather, we live in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed bodies, and so you and I get sick. We get COVID, we get flus, we get colds, and so on. And hopefully that is very clear in your mind at this point. And so with that clear in our minds, we can see what else James is saying. And it's this. Some sickness is a result of personal sin. This is why James says, if, in verse 15 as well. And that is a hard one for us, isn't it? We would rather say, absolutely not. I would rather not have to think in those terms. I would rather not have to think about that I might be sick because of my sin and something I am doing. And it could, be, it could be paralyzing for us. Like I said, terrifying for us if we're not careful. Like, I'm sick again? Like, I have a cold? Well, what did I do this time? You know? Is that the way this works? Is that the way we're to think through this? What's well, not? That's not the way we're to think through this. The context here, again, we need to be mindful of what James is saying in the context. The context is serious Sickness, and that kind of sickness might well be judgment due to unrepentant sin. And if you're offended by that, don't get offended with me. 
Look at what James is saying. That's what he's saying. God may well be bringing judgment upon you for your sin, your unrepentant sin. And and that's hard, isn't it? We can admit that. (laughs) You feel it, the tension in your heart. That doesn't mean you say, well, I forget that. It means I feel the tension. I'm being honest. However, we must say this because this is what James is saying. And we see even this elsewhere in Scripture as well. Let me give you a few instances. So back in the Gospel of John, a little bit earlier, before John chapter 9, after Jesus, Jesus, he heals the man who couldn't walk, he told the man this in John 5. He says, or he tells him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. With the implication being that whatever the man had been doing, his sin, and we don't know what that was, we're not told, was in some way related to why he couldn't walk. And Jesus doesn't divulge that for us. It's just implied. There is something about what he, has been, he did or was doing that led to that. And so there's one instance, there's many more, but I'm only going to give you one more. Consider the Lord's Supper, which we'll be taking part in here in just a few moments. What does Paul tell those in the Corinthian church who are taking part in the supper in an unworthy manner? Well, 1 Corinthians 11, as they are dividing the body and so on over the Lord's Supper, he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You know, there's an area that we lived in for a while and there were many people that professed to be believers there. And there was such a great amount of hypocrisy that it was causing even unbelievers to say, I'm going to have nothing to do with the church whatsoever because of that one right there in my family, because of that person at my workplace. I see them, and they are hypocrites. They are living in sin, going to drink on the weekends, committing adultery over here. And as we're living in this community, again and again, what we heard is how many people were dying of cancer in ways that I have never seen in a community before. And you just got to wonder, as these people are taking part in the Lord's Supper, 
however often they take it. Is that judgment? Now, if you have a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and a problem with James. And the answer isn't they're wrong. Their answer is we need to come under the truth of God's word. Amen. So in other words, taking all of these passages together, especially James, our sickness could be due to sin. And it would be something that you know. It's not something that you wouldn't know, like some hidden thing over here that you may be doing, and you're just like, well, I don't even have any idea of that. It wouldn't be a question. It's something you're doing and you refuse to repent of. You're saying, absolutely not. I'm going to continue looking at pornography week after week, and then I'm going to come to the church and take part in the Lord's Supper. And that's just fine. Well, no, it's not. (laughs) That is living in sin and taking part even in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You would know that you're doing it. So in other words, as James is calling for them to see here and all of us to see here, You're hiding away, just as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. You can always ask yourself if you're sinning by asking, are you hiding? (laughs) What do children do when they have done something wrong? You know it, parents and grandparents. They go and hide, (laughs) right? Or they hide the thing that they did in their closet, under their bed, under their pillow. Well, where did that come from? We're not just looking at the world through secular lenses here. It came from Genesis chapter 3. It's what every single one of us do as we're sinning. We begin hiding from others. We know what we're doing. But I don't want you to know what I'm doing. Now, there's a song that most, if not all of you, would recognize and will recognize as soon as you hear it. I hesitate to read it to you, or at least read the chorus to you. I'm not going to sing it for you. You can praise the Lord for that. But it goes like this. Let it go. (laughs) You already have it. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. (laughs) Right there, I knew you would get it right away. Didn't even have to say anything else. And you know exactly what song I'm referring to. Of course, Let It Go from Frozen or Disney's Frozen movie. Now, why do I bring that song up? Well, there's a part right near the beginning of the song that gets us close to what many are doing right now even within the church, maybe even especially within the church. Elsa 
as you know, in that song, she says this. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. Now, this sermon is not a sermon about Disney or anything like that. But what Elsa said there might be closer to where many are right now, maybe even where you are right now. Don't let them know. Many are doing just what Elsa was doing at that moment in the movie, running and concealing and what? Hiding. One thing the gospel does that it uniquely is able to do and it alone is uniquely able to do truly is it calls us out of our Genesis 3 hiding again and again and again. In our sin, we run, we conceal, we hide, and we say to ourselves, don't let them know, don't let them see. But the gospel says something different. It calls you and I to stop running, to cease concealing, to stop hiding, and to rest not in yourself, but in Christ, in following Him, in believing Him, and trusting Him, and trusting and following His Word. And so what is God calling you to do in view of these verses here? Whether you're sick or not, God is calling you to honestly confess your sins. Honestly confess your sins. As in, be done with them. It may well be why you're going about right now at home in your family or wherever it is and you are just burning within. You are hurting. You're burning within and you're hurting others without. It's because everywhere you go there is this thing that you are hiding. There is a sin in your life and that guilt is not just going to go away. The conviction, if you're a believer, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will be there. And if you're not a believer, then that big rock of the burden of guilt and sin over your whole life from when you were born until now is still on you. Everywhere you go. And God is calling for you, if you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, He's saying, run to the one who came for you to save you, who took the penalty of all your sin upon Himself on the cross. Believe in Him who died and was buried and rose again for you. And don't wait 
Today is the day of salvation. Honestly confess your sins. That burning within. This is what, this is what happened to David, right? You know in David in Psalm 32? What does it say there in Psalm 32, 3-5? It says, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We see it all there, right? What James is saying, that the bones and everything else, this groaning because of his sin. And so God is calling for you to cease hiding and to confess your sin to God in prayer. Right now, this morning, even right now, confess it to God. No more hiding. Tell them all. But not only that. Also, confess your sins to others. And this is what James says there in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Man, that one is a hard one in our day. (laughs) And why is it a hard one? Well, it's because we so often privatize our faith, right? I mean, we just build these high walls, as high as we possibly can, as believers, that none can cross over, such that we might might, might even think confessing our sins to others isn't to be done at all. That is totally off limits. How many of you have confessed sin to someone in this room? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. And there's the evidence. And it's ironic. We'll go to the world... We'll seek its counsel. We'll even tell the world our sins. Right? I mean, we will tell them everything. And they are not looking at this world in view of God, in view of his word, or anything whatsoever. And we're just fine with telling them everything. Yet when it comes to God's word and what he calls us to do, We say, well, the church is not for that. How many ways we have devised for ourselves ways to run and to hide? I think many have quite a wrong understanding of the church and perhaps of God and of sin, 
and even of the gospel itself. We have got to do away with this whole notion of a do-it-yourself Christianity. That's not to be. Brothers, sisters, you need each other. And I'm not talking about your family, like blood family. I'm saying you need the body of Christ. You need every single person in this room. I do. We all do. And what incredible healing there is in taking up God's words here and believing them and doing them. So consider, have you, question for you, consider have you minimized just how serious your sin is? You wouldn't think it could ever come to this, that God would bring judgment on you for your sin, even bringing judgment by way of sickness or even that he would take your life. Have you seen sin as that serious? That God may well do that? First John 1, 8 through 9, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not in hiding that you find help. It's in seeing just how serious it is and confessing it. But then you find healing that you no longer hide, but you go to God and you go to others saying, I cannot do this on my own. I need help. And so along those lines, another question for you. Consider, who is someone that you can trust to confess your sins to? And this won't be anyone. And you're not going to go to you know, the person in the church who may be Gossip City, you know, which I hope, you know, that person repents of that too. <laughs> but, you know, you're not going to go to someone like that and go and tell them these things. You're going to go to someone you can trust. So men, look for godly men. I mean, do you have godly friends that you can go to? And you could do this with them. Do they know you well enough that that's just fine? Women, look for godly women. Same thing. Do you have a woman, a godly woman, that you can confess your sins to? And they're not going to be like, either men or women, they're not going to be like, oh, what? You did that? They're going to be like, well, yeah, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're going to sin. So let me, let me come alongside you. Let me pray for you, as James says here. 
If you're married, this certainly includes your spouse as well. I mean, you may well be hiding a lot from your spouse. I mean, can they look at your phone right now and you have no problem? All your texts, all your emails? Can you just show them and they'll be just fine with that? Your search history? Or even find a godly couple who can walk through these things with you and pray for you. And of course, your pastor. You're not to do it alone. Let me just say this. How quickly, when I have done this, when I have confessed my sin to someone else, man, I have found that sometimes I have struggled for months with a sin. And then when I confess it, it's like, woof. Like the next day I'm doing better. Incredible, right? I mean, God really does answer those. I'm not saying he does it every single time. There may be months and years of working through something that you need to walk through dealing with your sin and repenting of it. But there's healing there. The devil would like you and I to think that you're unique in your sin. That you're all alone. That you, out of everyone in all of history, you have sinned in such a way that no one else has. And you better not tell anybody. Because <laughs> then, you know, that, that's going to be really bad for you. Yet God would have you be free. He would have you not hide anymore. He would have you be free in Christ. He would have you not live your life alone anymore, apart from Christ and the body of Christ. Saints, what freedom there is here in following and believing all of that God has said. Confess your sins to one another. Now, I know I spent a lot of time on that first point because we needed to spend some good time there. But James, he doesn't end there. He shows us another vital need of ours, which I find so helpful, especially to end these verses in this circle of emphasis on prayer. He shows us our vital need to see the power of prayer. To see the power of prayer. Now having talked so much about sickness and sin, we might have forgotten. Maybe you have at this point. Maybe you have forgotten the main heading that James has here over this section. And the main heading is what? Prayer, right? The whole context Prayer on multiple levels. Prayer in suffering. Prayer in gladness. Prayer in sickness. Prayer in confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another. And so we're told in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now we'll look at Elijah in a moment, but this is not talking about Elijah. Don't be fooled here. This is not about him. The righteous person here is you. All of you. 
who know Christ. You're the ones praying for one another in verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he goes right into this verse. And he's not talking about elders or pastors anymore. He's talking about you. There is power in the prayer of faith, in the prayer of a regenerate believer entrusting themselves to God and to His Word. Praying and suffering. Praising and gladness. Praying for the sick and praying for one another. A prayer of faith in all those things. Yet the power isn't ultimately in you, is it? It's in God. He is the one who hears. He is the one who sees. He is the one who works. He is the one who brings about the answer. And so don't miss the God behind answered prayer. Our God is not on the sidelines. We are not deists. He is God right now answering and powerfully working for His glory in 2023. So are you praying to Him? And so to highlight the power of prayer, James gives us an example. And he gives us the example here of Elijah. Now you might be thinking, yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, that's Elijah. Come on. I'm not Elijah. Who are you kidding? I can't be doing any of that stuff. He lists here. That's crazy. Now, you're right on one level. You are not Elijah. I mean, Elijah, he took on the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, right? And he, he called down fire from heaven. Have you ever done that? When confronted by the king and his soldiers in 2 Kings 1. And he prayed, as Megan read a moment ago from 1 Kings 17 and 18. And it stopped raining. And then when he prayed again, it started raining. I mean, have you ever had that happen? You're praying and like, do I just, right there, all right, the rain came. My prayer usually is that it would snow. Because I love the snow. Well, have you ever had that happen? Maybe. I mean, I've certainly seen answers to prayer very quickly. I'm sure you have too. But as you hear all that about Elijah, what, and look at it, what was the common denominator with Elijah? Was it that he had superpowers? Was it that he is Superman? Is that why he could do all these things? Not at all. The answer is, It was not him. It was God. God did all of that every single time. 
And in just in case you miss this point here that James is making, he emphasizes that he, Elijah, was like you. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James wants you to put away all your excuses and to see that there is not this kind of higher tier of godliness, this higher tier of Christianity, and you just need to kind of look for it and find it. Behind Elijah was God. And so you're right, you're not Elijah, but you're the same as Elijah, and you serve the same God as Elijah. And so second, see how God answered. Elijah prayed fervently, it says. He gave himself up and gave himself over to prayer. He prayed sincerely. He prayed urgently. He prayed a prayer of faith. Trusting God, trusting his word, and God answered. And the point is, you can pray like him. Are you praying like that? Know it and know it well. Know God answers prayer. God answers prayer. When you're suffering, when you're glad, when you're sick, when you're confessing, when his people pray. Consider what God might do and how he might work if you and I If God's people would only pray. Oh, that that we would be a praying people. That every single one of you would be a praying person. Seeing that this life, there's absolutely nothing that you can do apart from God. You need him in everything. How true were the words of Ian Bounds when he wrote, If people would pray as they should pray, the marvels of the past would be more than reproduced. The gospel would advance with an ease and power. It is never known. Doors would be thrown open to the gospel, and the word of God would have a conquering force, rarely if ever known before. So may we... May you, may we pray. Pray, brothers. Pray, sisters. Pray, little children. Pray, students. Pray, dear saints. Confess your sins. Humble yourselves. Seek God. Be His without reservation and obey His word without hesitation. No longer hide, but take up James's words this morning and confess and forsake your sin. Look to Christ 
and see the power of God at work among a praying people. So may it be. Let's pray. Father, I and we offer up a brief prayer. Lord, may it be that our answer to your word here this morning would be yes. Amen.